on this episode of the Danny Cola Podcast. We never ate McDonald's prior to the study. The reason we wanted to do this study was we wanted to take Chipotle seen as extremely healthy. Vegan is kind of the new fad on the block. And McDonald's is seen as extremely unhealthy. And we thought, well, if we keep calories the same and other variables the same, do changes arise or do the negative effects as seen and supersize me um, and people that eat McDonald's, is it more just overall caloric load and uh, inactivity? On this episode, I get to talk to personal trainer and nutritional agnostic Mike Sell. We did a podcast about a few months back when he talked about his case study where he ate eight weeks of Chipotle, eight weeks of vegan diet, and eight weeks of McDonald's. And he kind of talked about what was going on, the, re- the restrictions of the diet, um, and all the information about it. And actually, in that podcast, he was in the middle of it. He was in the McDonald's phase. Uh, and in this podcast, we talk about results from it, what he learned from it, how he felt through a lot of it, and I kind of ask him some questions about different types of quote-unquote fat diets and his thoughts on them, specifically the keto diet, the carnivore diet. Uh, we talked a little bit in depth about some of the goodies McDonald's has. Uh, it's an interesting podcast, to say the least. Mike is a very smart guy, and he puts a lot of thought into uh, his behavior. He puts a lot of thought into what he says and how he uh, you know, presents himself, really. And it's, um, it's refreshing to hear a 24-year-old kid do this type of stuff. And it's good for the world, and he definitely provides people of value. Follow Mike on Instagram. What's going on? Oh, just living life. Living life in between living the trainer life, right? What do you uh like what's your day consist of as a personal trainer? Like we have uh we have different lifestyles, right? Than anybody else. We are, we're working in the morning. We got little breaks, we work in the evening. It, it all depends on what type of training you do. So like what talk about your career a little bit and talk to me about like, you know, what's your what's your routine like? What's your day-to-day like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I usually wake up around 5.30, 6 a.m. most mornings. Uh, make a big breakfast of eggs, toast. Ah, you're a big, oh, you like eating big breakfast, huh? I do. Um, I like eating, having all my meals uh, be large portions. So I uh, eat big breakfast. I drive the wife uh, to the train station. She goes into the city to work. And okay. I train a group of power lifters at 7.30 in the morning. From there, I have clients, I train classes, I do a lot of online coaching in the middle of the day, more coaching at night. So it's usually a full schedule starting at 7 a.m. and ending around 9.30, 10 p.m. Awesome. Yeah, dude, I could totally relate to you. Like that's Mm -hmm. almost equivalent to what I do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Some people would call it a grind, but I mean, as you know, uh, it's something that you and me just both really enjoy and it makes it very, very easy to execute day in and day. For sure. For sure. It's definitely, you know what though? You said it wasn't a grind. I still call it a grind for me. It's like, it's the day to day. It's just, it's the grind that I enjoy. Exactly. It's not like I used to, I used to wake up and I was a high school teacher. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was going to be, I thought that was going to be like my, my thing my calling my going into whatever career and love it but there was just something about it that felt like 
a job. I wasn't, you know, doing my exact passion at the end of the day. And now that I'm doing this again, like it's been seven months and I'm just, I'm feeling it. I love what I'm doing. And even though they're long days, like you're mentioning up early five in the morning and you're not going to bed till 10 PM, the day just goes by so fast. And it's like, it's, it's an opportunity for me to like seize the day every day kind of thing, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I look at I look at life from another perspective, but okay. So let's go back to your big breakfast, man. Um, what like how consistent are they? What are they exactly? And talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So currently, I'm massing. I'm trying to uh, maximize muscle growth, and that requires being in a caloric surplus. Uh, so, like I said, most of my meals are pretty large, just because it takes a lot of calories for me to be in a caloric surplus. Yeah, so you're like, let's give a, let's give an idea to the listeners who haven't seen you. Mm-hmm. Like talk a little bit about your build and like, you're a big man. <laughs> yeah. I, guess so that's understatement. You're pretty I, I weigh around 245, 250 pounds. I am a uh, six feet tall. Mm-hmm. About 245, six feet. Yeah. About seven or eight weeks ago, I was only 207, 210. So I've masked uh, rather quickly. I, I'm going to be going in for a DEXA in the next week or two. So I'm very interested to see uh, what type of tissue I've added in that time, pe- uh, time period. I you, would, uh, I'm sorry, can you explain what a, a DEXA is? Yeah, so a DEXA is a machine that is used to measure uh, body fat percentage as well as bone density. Oh, where are you going to go do that? At We in College. Uh, so I have that luxury. I, I am... Uh, close friends with some of the professors there so i'm blessed to have that Ooh, uh, the machine okay. itself they're very expensive but they're used in a lot of published literature because as far as body fat percentage testers go they're one of the uh, more accurate uh, ways to measure okay all right and that that's that's different from hydrostatic weighing because obviously you're getting bone density you said yeah so you get bone density as well that's pretty that's pretty wild uh yeah, so yeah you've been in, uh, dual energy x-ray um and then it's like absorptiometry i always have a hard time uh pronouncing that hmm that's pretty cool so like um i guess i want i want to dive into a little bit about your study because you know you said you have a tie with wheaton college so you're doing things a little bit more on next level mm-hmm. than what the average person would do that's why i think you're so interesting so um Talk to me about that study that you did sure. and let's, let's like go over it. Cause we did an episode about it back. I don't know, maybe at the beginning of summer. So it was a couple months ago. If people want to go back, it's episode 42. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, talk in depth about the study and where you're at now and like how you're feeling and all that. Sure. And like what you learned from it, what were the greatest takeaways from it? You know? Yeah. So uh, for those that didn't hear the episode before, um, my wife and I, we decided that we were going to put ourselves into a six-month case study where for the first two months, we ate nothing but Chipotle, followed by two months of nothing but a vegan diet, followed by nothing but two months of McDonald's. My favorite uh, part. Yeah. So we, we uh, compared a number of health variables. Um, we looked Every day, we looked at blood glucose blood pressure, heart rate, body weight. Uh, We had our blood drawn at the beginning and end of each dietary period to compare C-reactive protein, HbA1c, 
um, and cholesterol. We also did the DEXA to look at bone density and body fat percentage at the beginning and end of every dietary period. Um, so those are some of the major markers we looked at. We also looked at a uh, mood and we did this through a profile mood state test just to see how we were affected psychologically by the diets. We tried to keep variables the same between the diets in terms of calories. So the calories were the same, the macronutrients uh, were the same. So we got the same around the same amount of protein, carbs, uh, fatty acids. We tried to keep other variables the same as well, such as training, sleep schedule. Obviously, life happens, and you may be a little bit more stressed one day. And that sure, I think that, I mean that out. just shows like the variety or like how much information could be like maybe not miscalculated but misconstrued because of the test subjects day to day as well you know we are we are all human too exactly. you know exactly um and that's why we we had each dietary period uh, last for two months that's why we took a lot of these measurements every day uh just in case there was an outlier let's say one day we had enough data uh that we could account for that yeah for sure mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I just continue on. So you explained in detail, like how, like the setup of everything. And, you know, if they want to, if people want to go like deeper into that, I guess they can. Mm -hmm. Um, but after all it was over and talk about like what you learned from it, you know, I guess that's something that I want to dive into. If there's anything like interesting that you want to like bring up from it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So our hypothesis was, uh, if calories are kept equal, major markers for health will not change much. That that was the hypothesis. We thought potentially our cholesterol may change. The reason is we probably got a little bit more saturated fat on McDonald's, specifically myristic fatty acid, um, which has been shown to affect cholesterol. Uh, we would probably get this from the beef. I had about a, I had a quarter pounder almost every day. Um, so we, we tried to make the, uh, the dietary periods fair. It wasn't like I was eating salads only at McDonald's. I probably had three salads, the whole entire study. Uh, so we wanted to keep things fair. Uh, sure. interesting things to That's note, great. um, Chipotle underdosed the calories in comparison to the website. So we weighed the food and we found that they were underdosing their meat and some of the other items putting us into a caloric deficit. We did a two week lead in cause we wanted to stay at caloric maintenance the whole time. Um, but because we were in a deficit, we lost weight on Chipotle from there. We had to make the study fair for the other two dietary periods. So we re uh, calculated the calories to match what Chipotle actually gave us. And because of that, we lost weight the entire study. So that was probably one interesting item to note was yeah. I started around two thirty seven at beginning of Chipotle by the end of McDonald's, I was 207. Ashley lost around 20 pounds as well. Um, and so some things that struck, stuck out to us, probably the, the biggest thing may have been the uh, profile mood state test. So we took the psychological evaluation, I did at least almost every week. From the beginning to the end of Chipotle, my mood increased substantially. Uh, one week into vegan, my mood deteriorated rather quickly. I was thrown into depression. I battled a lot of confusion. I would fatigue really early in the day. Now, when you say when you say depression, mm -hmm. I mean, do you think uh, that's such a broad term? You know, exactly. Yeah. 
So, like, I mean, I guess you can say, you know, fatigue and, you know, you fatigue early in the day, you're feeling crappy, you know, just kind of melancholy. I guess that, you know, over time leads to a, a very a bad place, but, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so I wasn't ever um, evaluated and diagnosed with depression. Uh, the reason I say depression is in the profile mood state test, you're looking at a number of factors that assess mood. One of the categories is depression. Uh, a low score is good. A high score is bad. And these scores are calculated based on a 65 question survey. Mm. Uh, by the end of Chipotle, my depression score is like a zero or one, which is essentially perfect. Uh, pretty quickly into vegan, I scored, I believe, around a 20 or more um, out of like 30 something. So yeah, I can't really say I was depressed, but my score for yeah. depression the data, uh, the data shows it objectively it says it i got it yeah and again this is it is somewhat a subjective test you're assessing emotion and you can feel better or worse on one day or another but our scores were pretty bad by the end of vegan uh depression went away um some of the other scores actually improved not back to where they were in chipotle um the major thing the biggest thing that stayed around was fatigue what was really interesting was one weekend to mcdonald's our score for mood was essentially perfect, both of us. Hmm. So there could have been almost a super compensation effect going from vegan to McDonald's. It's interesting. Uh, can you so tell me? So can we can we rewind to the day that vegan ended? Because I think I met you. Mm-hmm. I think I met you when you were like right in the middle of the vegan part mm-hmm. back in June. Yep. And um, you know, I saw you again a, a month later, and you were like right into your McDonald's phase or like about to start your McDonald's phase. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that day that you went from vegan to McDonald's when you can have your first quarter pounder? Like <laughs> how excited you were? Were you excited? Are you, I, I get that vibe that you might be kind of jacked up to have a quarter pounder after going eight weeks vegan. <laughs> exactly. So I enjoy consuming meat. So some of the core, the scores may have improved just because of the psychological factor. I enjoy meat, but Ashley, yeah, Ashley and I, we both went to McDonald's and we have never enjoyed McDonald's as much as we did then. <laughs> we never ate McDonald's prior to the study. The reason we wanted to do this study was we wanted to take Chipotle seen as extremely healthy. Vegan is kind of the new fad on the block. And McDonald's is seen as extremely unhealthy. And we thought, well, if we keep calories the same and other variables the same, do changes arise or do the negative effects as seen and supersize me um, and people that eat McDonald's, is it more just overall caloric load? and uh, inactivity. So that, that's what we were trying to uh, test. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting because, like, I think a lot of people have that mindset that McDonald's is, like, that pink paste, you know? It's gotten that reputation. Sure. Um, but uh, this it's crazy that Chipotle, and I'm even guilty of it myself, like, I say I say to people, Chipotle is, like, your, your go-to fast food. You know, maybe maybe I'm wrong when I say that, but I mean, when I when I hear you when I hear you talk about like what your hypothesis was and like what your results were, you know, from knowing you personally, I mean, I guess you accomplished something here because it's like, all right, people shouldn't be so crazy overlooking all the small little things like that and see how, you know, McDonald's here or there affects you if you're keeping everything concise and within a certain restriction, not going overboard, right? Exactly. The major issue people have at McDonald's is the food is extremely palatable, uh, meaning there's a high combination of fat 
and uh, sugar. And this combination of fat and sugar tastes really good. And because it tastes good, people tend to overeat it. The food's calorically dense. We had a really hard time making the macros fit at McDonald's because the fat would add up so quickly. Yeah. So it was actually a lot more difficult to get the adequate carbohydrates and uh, protein on the uh, the McDonald's diet. Go over again what your typical day was at McDonald's. Like, what would you get typically? Yeah. What so would, would fit in it your- varied some. The average morning was an egg McMuffin, pancakes with syrup, no butter, and uh, yogurt parfait. Uh, most lunches, I had a artisan grilled chicken sandwich and a quarter pounder. And then for dinner, I usually had two artisan grilled chicken sandwiches. Okay. And then I, I don't hear a lot of fries there. So you probably... Yeah, yeah. No, I, there was a couple days where I could fit fries in. There were a few days where every lunch I had a large fry and quarter pounder. But with the fries and the quarter... or Sorry, large fry and Big Mac. But I ran out of fat so quickly by eating the fries that I couldn't spend my fat on any other food items. So the rest of the day just didn't taste very good. It wasn't as fun. I don't mm. get a ton of enjoyment out of fries. So that's why I didn't do that day very, very often. Interesting. What about ice cream? You like the ice cream? I like the ice cream there. The ice cream's great. It's 200 calories, 32 grams of carbohydrates, 5 grams of fat, 5 grams of protein, less calories than a Cliff Bar. Uh, and the macros themselves are pretty similar to a Cliff Bar. Uh, so the ice cream is actually pretty good there. <laughs> I bet you there are so many people that are glad to hear you say that. It's just like it, it highlights people's inability to like, I mean, we have a, obviously a, a problem with obesity in this country. Exactly. And, big problem. And, and so many different types of uh, diseases. Um, it goes to show sometimes the discipline in a human isn't there. Right. Exactly. And the discipline they, is not there. We like what's easily accessible. Um, it's funny, people nowadays, they try to blame sugar for the obesity crisis. Sugar intake actually has decreased since the 70s, but obesity has increased substantially. The major issue that attacks our health when it comes to cancer, cardiovascular disease, etc. We have, we have an overeating problem and we have a lack of activity problem. So people are moving less and they're just eating more calories. And that combination is pretty harmful to our health. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. People want to place blame in all different areas. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's take a look at yourself, right? Let's understand what or how you hold yourself accountable to things and Mm -hmm. how you discipline yourself when it comes to eating. How much are you moving? How much are you actually helping yourself? Yeah. And that's why I'm against most fad diets is because the major key to get your health back is consistency and adherence. And when you go on to diets that are very exclusive in terms of what you're allowed to eat, this creates a yo-yo effect. It creates unhealthy eating patterns, a lack of variety. And then people, they go crazy. And when they stop the fad diet, they are out of control. They don't know how to control themselves. And they run into issues. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds very familiar. I remember uh, hearing that at um, the nutrition event you had that was being held with uh, Renaissance Periodization. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting talk, man. I just I like I like to open up my eyes to all sorts of information being thrown out there in different types of ways, and mm-hmm. you know I commend you for putting things out there and then taking the extra mile to go a little bit deeper and um, 
you know, test this stuff out because I don't know, there's not a lot of people that like to put in the extra effort into making something work. And I, I appreciate that. I think it's well, interesting. Thank you. The, the big MVP, and I've said this many times, at least for this study, was uh, Ashley. So I'm a little weird. I'm okay with going on a very restrictive diet if it's in the name of science. But Ashley, she doesn't have that same passion. She has a passion for science, but not to the extent I do. And she really enjoys food. For So for her to be able to sacrifice essentially six months of her uh, nutritional freedom that was not to, uh, mention, not to mention your first year of marriage correct exactly first year of marriage i mean we celebrated our one-year wedding anniversary at mcdonald's actually okay. I, I i ate my first uh, dessert in 3,143 days on mcdonald's i had a no dessert candy soda bell with my brother dating back to uh, 2009 i <laughs> ended it on our wedding anniversary with an apple pie that a kind right. fellow uh, gave to us because he saw we were celebrating in there. It's funny. We brought in candles, china, um, et cetera. So I, we tried to have a romantic dinner. We, we celebrated our birthday, my birthday on McDonald's. We celebrated her birthday on vegan. Um, we went to several weddings over the summer where we couldn't partake in the uh, the beverages or the other uh, food. Discipline, and man. That's, that's, that's Ashley is incredible. So for her to uh, do that, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, definitely. I think Ashley gets her own podcast. I think I got it. I met her. I met her a couple of times. Yeah. Very, very sweet. Yeah. And uh, it seems like a lot of people could learn something from Ashley there. I mean, you know, it, again, a lot of people want to want to do what's easy, what's convenient. And uh, sometimes when you go ahead and do this and, and test the waters and test your limitations, mm-hmm. test your boundaries and temptations and all that, mm-hmm. you learn so much about yourself. You do. And so much positive shit about yourself. So I'm sure Ashley learned a ton, grew a ton from this. And uh, mm-hmm. people need to learn from her. So she gets her own podcast. I already said that. Wow. Well, she'll be really excited. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Yeah. Um, so what else comes to mind when yeah, it comes so, to uh, the results of this diet? Yeah, so the, probably the next biggest thing, and this will probably interest those that are listening that are into muscle building, strength building. Um, so according to the DEXA, not only does the DEXA tell you what your body fat percentage is, but it tells you how much lean uh, skeletal tissue you're carrying. It also tells you the exact amount of fat you're carrying, which is important. Um so on McDonald's, I lost about 11 pounds. On vegan, I lost about 9 pounds. So on the surface, if we just went by the scale, one would say, well, that makes sense. You were in the same caloric deficit. There's not much of a difference there, 2 pounds. That could be explained for a number of reasons. But when we look at the type of tissue that was lost, 76% of the tissue that I lost on vegan was muscle. Uh, about 21 to 25%, somewhere in there, uh, percent of the tissue I lost on McDonald's was muscle. So, and the rest was fat. And this could be seen in the performance within the gym as well. So when I was on the vegan diet, I got progressively weaker as the, uh, the diet went on. On McDonald's, I didn't really lose, I didn't really get that much weaker because I kept most of the muscle. Uh, I took a bunch of progress pictures and the progress pictures actually got really good on McDonald's. Uh, the reason, the way I would explain this difference, uh, so people would say, well, you probably have a different amount of protein. And the answer to that is no, the protein is about the same. The difference is when you're on a vegan or a plant-based diet, you actually need to have more protein, probably about 15 to 20% more protein. The reason is within plant proteins, there's less amino acid utilization because you're getting less complete proteins. 
you're getting less uh, cysteine, uh, methionine. Um, so yeah, vegans probably need to eat more protein in order to get a complete amino acid profile um, and the right ratios they're going to allow for muscle protein synthesis. Uh, we lost the least amount of muscle on McDonald's because most of the protein was from animal products. Uh, also, there was no supplementation during the diet. On a vegan diet, there's very little creatine, no creatine really in plants and meat. There's a decent amount of creatine. Creatine is very important for muscle building. It also can have effect on cognition and uh, on mood. So maybe that could explain some of the the mood. The other thing that could have explained the mood is also we both get a lot of value in our strength training. So if we're getting progressively weaker, that could have affected the mood as well. You know, you're you're a busy guy and you're doing a lot of cool things at your gym and mm -hmm. building the Mike Swell brand, which I think is awesome. My favorite Instagram follow follow person. <laughs> well, um, where what where did you feel the least creative on what diet? Because I think you know being creative is a part of being healthy and, and mm -hmm. wellness. Yeah. Where did you feel like did you did you not get the most out of your your creativity yeah so again this is very hard to assess because we, we there is no way to really assess it sure i mean uh, not, but from not, a not subjective point of view um definitely i was definitely the least creative on vegan i i think I, i'm a per type of person that really just enjoys thinking and looking at research when I was on the vegan diet, both Ashley and I would both fatigue by about 5 p.m. We couldn't think after that point. We were both less creative. It took more energy to put thoughts together. Uh, when I had my concussions, I, I uh, compared putting thoughts together, like wearing oven mitts and playing with Legos. It just didn't work very well. Uh, and I didn't feel that, uh, for a better uh, word, dumb um, on vegan, but... I definitely noticed a difference and cognition is definitely heavily associated with creativity. Yeah, definitely. I got to go back to your Instagram and check to see if you did any good posts during the times you were on your vegan diet. You know, I think that would be a nice little assessment. What creative posts did you come out with the time you were just eating vegan? That had to have been like June, like, yeah, all of June. Right. So yeah, th that would be interesting. I think most of the, t most of my, quote unquote creative posts are probably in my stories. So Ah, right, right. Maybe difficult to yeah, see. That'd be interesting. Though. Not not a whole lot of weight there, but just something to, to take a look yeah, at. Interesting. Um another thing that you were adamant about the last time we talked is that this is these are results that are gonna be working with my body and your mm. individual state, right? You really emphasize that everyone's an individual and uh not everything is gonna be the same. Right. So like what yeah. works for you may not necessarily be the best thing for me or somebody else. Right. Yeah. So there's individualization. Um, so people are going to respond differently. Uh, for example, I'm a responder to creatine. Creatine makes a bigger difference for me when I supplement with it than maybe some other people. Uh, this people have to take into account. This is a case study of two uh, Caucasian young adults. So to try to extrapolate this to the rest of the world is dangerous. We don't want people to take our results and all of a sudden eat a McDonald's only diet because they're probably going to fail and not control their calories like Ashley and I did. Um, so, and then there's nothing wrong with eating vegan. I don't want to come across as if I'm trying, if I'm an anti-vegan 
they're trying to perpetrate some type of propaganda against it. I'm not. I think most people would really benefit from eating more vegetables, more plants. When it comes to your health, uh, having a ton of muscle uh, is not a huge, huge deal. Uh, the minimal amount of protein that someone would have to get to be healthy would probably only be about 10% of their calories. Um, maybe a little bit more with a vegan diet because the amino acids. So, yeah, I don't want people to extrapolate this and say, well, vegan's not healthy. McDonald's is. These are just the results that we have found. In fact, uh, if you look at uh, observational research, vegans tend to live longer, probably because there's not very many calories in plants. So it's pretty easy to eat in a caloric deficit without trying when you're a vegan. What we do believe will probably happen in the near future is the lifespan of vegans is probably going to equal or come closer to the general population. The reason is there's a lot more options for vegans nowadays, a lot more processed options. Uh, there, it seems like for every meat item, there's a vegan item now. Which yeah, that's really true. Cool, but these items have more calories. Uh, there's more people that are eating vegan, even less for health and a lot for animal humane reasons, which is good, but because their motive is different, they may be less disciplined in other walks of life. So I think 10, 20 years ago, most of the vegans that were doing it, again, there weren't very many vegan items. So they're eating literally mostly plants and plants are great. And a lot of these vegans probably, I don't have data to support this, but exercise and practice other healthy living habits. Yeah, no, definitely. It's very, uh, that's an interesting thought process there. So keep having those thoughts and keep eating whatever it is that fuels your brain because mm -hmm. some good things come out of there. Um, yeah. And I, I, that's why I recommend a well-rounded diet where like Renaissance periodization, Dr. Mike Isertel talked about eating a variety of foods, lots of plants, whole grains, uh, healthy fats. So fats from nuts, fruits, uh, lean meats are great fish. Um, not a lot of processed food. If you do that, these things, most of the time, you're probably going to manage your calories pretty well, which is going to positively affect your weight, which will probably positively affect your health. You won't be deficient in certain nutrients either with this type of approach. So th that's what I think, uh, would benefit most people. Interesting. Yeah. Most people like you emphasize that because, uh, I want to get your opinion on like, um, what do you what do you say to people like you know Dr. Jordan Peterson who um, who eats the carnivore diet you know like people who had severe autoimmune issues and it's a you know maybe a, an extreme individual cause here or an extreme individual person that might do this but what do you say to those people who eat nothing but meat mm -hmm. and how like their body uh, reacts so positively from it Yeah so there's a number of reasons why you could react positively at first, I mean, most fad diets, they make people feel better at first because they're so exclusive in nature that you're going to be in a caloric deficit. I mean, a caloric deficit, you usually feel better. If you're eating primarily a carnivore diet, that is going to be a keto diet or a ketogenic diet. And what this does is this type of diet at first and going forward, you get a buzz. So it's called the keto buzz, which makes you feel a little bit better. Um, but it's probably not optimal for brain function long-term uh, as the, the nervous system is fueled most effectively and efficiently through glucose. Uh, the issue with the carnivore diet is there's like no fiber in it. 
and you're just going to be very deficient in a lot of nutrients, which down the road could increase your risk for a whole host of health effects. It, your cholesterol could go up, increasing your risk of cardiovascular disease. You could have a higher chance of colon cancer due to a lack of fiber. Depending on the meat source you're getting, your increase for colorectal cancer may increase. Uh, mm. That is associated with heme iron, which is right. red meat and processed meats. So I think the best benefit of a carnivore diet is that it's kind of funny how much it pisses off a vegan. But <laughs> That's true. Besides that, uh, I, I think it's probably one of the uh, least effective long-term dietary strategies that has been created. Right. That's what I was going to say. So obviously you're intending that you're implying that long-term this isn't a thing. And it's basically probably not people... great for gut health either. Yeah. Um, as it probably reduces bacterial diversity, um, beneficial uh, bifido strains um, become reduced. Uh, it's interesting though. I'm sorry. As I was going to say, it could increase uh, mucus degraders, so less protection in the gut. Um, high fat diets, uh, while you get greater absorption of fat soluble vitamins, they're linked to uh, permeability of the intestines, more endotoxins. Um, and there's research in animals as well as humans uh, to support these claims. So I'm sure, I'm sure there yeah, is. So I, I definitely, uh, a vegan diet would be a much better choice than a carnivore diet. It's interesting, though, that they, they feel like all their symptoms go away, you know, because they talk about some of their really – you know, bad symptoms like, I mean, I, whatever it is, the, the, the chronic fatigue, no energy, you know, the headaches, the whatever it is, the aches, the pains, the can't walk, that type of stuff. And then they switch to it and then they switch to the carnivore diet, that is. And obviously it's just anecdotal, but they claim that they're just like feeling completely different and they have the energy in this. So you feel like that's just because they get into a caloric deficit and the way they ate was just complete crap prior to the change? Yeah, I would say it's probably a combination of those two things that you just listed. Huh, interesting. No, I mean, it's it's a good point. I It's a great point, man. Like, I think just eating meat might be a little crazy, but then like... You know, you you take that same philosophy and you apply it to any of those diets. I mean, there are people that say, like for keto example, um, you know, like their cognition is just way better because they're lower carbohydrate. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, like so people who are like the, the brain runs on carbohydrates. Um, it's funny, uh, Doctor Isertel talked about this as well. Those that uh, um battle, uh, they they get seizures, chronic seizures. Yeah, they, they get less seizures on the ketogenic diet because actually there's a decrease in uh, hyperactivity of the brain um, because the brain works slower on a ketogenic diet and these side effects go down. But again, if you're on a ketogenic diet, on average, those that put themselves in a ketogenic diet without counting calories go into a six to 700 caloric deficit. Typically, in your caloric deficit, you're going to feel a little bit better. You're, it's going to be easier to think. You're going to have a little bit more energy as you're losing weight. Uh, but of course, with the ketogenic diet, uh, there, there are a lot of people that think it, it works. You lose weight because you're suppressing insulin. So you're able to go into a lipolysis because uh, insulin and uh, adrenaline compete for the same receptor. Um, so if you have low insulin, you can get more adrenaline to the receptor, break down fatty acids and uh, 
off the triglyceride backbone, and then you can oxidize the fat by sending it through the blood, yada, yada, yada. Um, but what's interesting is when there's a really good study that was done recently um, at Stanford. It was just published uh, this year, 2018. There were over 600 participants. The average uh, age of the participant was what I believe to be 40. Uh, the average BMI was 31, 32, so slightly overweight. Um, one group went into a ketogenic diet or a very low-carb diet. Um, and then the other group went into a very low-fat diet. Calories were equated. So there's about 300 people in each group. This is a really great sample size. Uh, differences. There were no differences starting out between the two groups. By the end of the 12-month study, there was no difference in weight loss. And calories were the same. Ad adherence was the same. Um, so it goes to show you that calories seem to be the major issue that people tend to battle when it comes to weight loss, when it comes to lots of other health ill effects as well. The risk you run with a ketogenic diet besides, uh, poor gut health, besides not getting enough glucose to fuel the nervous system, you're probably not gonna get enough fiber. So you can increase cancer risk. Uh, the ketogenic diet is very, very dangerous for children couple studies showing this it's not good for the development of children so that's what worries me the most with the diet is when parents try to force their kids to do it i think this can lead to horrible eating disorders going forward later mm -hmm. in life um but what about like i mean you you went you went back to the whole seizure thing can you repeat yourself on that you said don't give keto diet to kids with seizures or they were going to reduce because why no so i was saying um People, so when I was talking about seizures, I was talking about, uh, so people that go on the ketogenic diet that suffer from chronic seizures, oftentimes they get less seizures. And the reason they get less seizures is because a seizure is a sign of hyperactivity of the brain. The brain's just working too quickly, too fast. The ketogenic diet actually slows people down. So it's kind of funny, the mechanism for why uh, that happens. And again, if someone does a ketogenic diet, they enjoy it. They're keeping their calories maintained. They're going to be much better off than someone that is constantly in a caloric surplus that is overweight or obese that is carrying a lot of body fat. So if it's a way that helps people get control over their nutrition and they need that type of structure, then uh, so be it. It seems like adherence isn't any better though, than just doing a normal calorie-restricted diet, according to the literature, and there could be a lot of elements lacking when someone's on the ketogenic diet. The reason why the ketogenic diet's good for some is that the food is not as palatable. Usually people on a ketogenic diet are getting more protein just because they're getting less carbs. They're probably getting more calories in some other area. Protein is great for muscle retention. Also keeps you full longer, so it helps with satiety. Uh, hunger hormones may decrease a little bit on the ketogenic diet ketones there's some mixed research that show that it may suppress appetite again this is very mixed um i don't like the ketogenic diet from a lifting or sports performance standpoint one of the major issues is that when you first start keto you end up losing a lot of water weight it's called the keto flush you can lose a couple kilograms within the first week so that can help people adherence because they see that they lost weight in the scale and they get all excited so they stick with it, which is cool. But the reason they usually lose weight within the first week is because you're losing water weight, because you're having a lack of carbs. One gram of carbohydrate holds on to three grams of water. The reason this is dangerous is because now you're going to have less glycogen within your muscles. Your muscles are composed mostly of water. So this may increase your risk of uh, strains 
It's also going to decrease performance. Your recovery is going to decrease as you're going to get less glycogen replenishment, which is really important for the healing process of muscle tissue. Um, so that, that could be the issue. The, the one sport where someone may not be negatively affected from a ketogenic diet, and I call this a sport uh, very carefully, would be people that do ultra marathons uh, because they're running so freaking slow. They may not need the carbohydrates for performance. They can probably run on fat. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm having, having some issues here with my computer. I don't know. I, I feel like you keep cutting out. Okay. Um, so sorry about that. I don't know okay. if you got anything there. Um, but Mike, I let's wrap this up, man. I don't want to take any more of your time. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this and sharing your knowledge. I really think that, uh, I mean, you definitely open up my eyes when you talk about, you know, the pros and cons, and you really, uh, you put some research and thought behind all of this. And like I said, you take it to the next level, man, you do the research yourself. And uh, I really appreciate that. And it's very interesting. And I think it provides people a tremendous value. Can you uh, leave the listeners off with where people can find you? Yeah. So again, first off, just thank you so much, Sandy, for having me on your podcast. I always really enjoy talking to you. I love your thirst and hunger for knowledge. I think it's amazing. And I think what you're doing with your podcast is really, really great. You're a very personable human being. So thank you. And thank you for having me on it. Uh, for those listening, uh, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Mikey Swell, M-I-K-E-Y-S-W-E-L-L. Um, and then I'm one of the owners at Midwest strength and performance it's a gym in west chicago and that's the podcast everybody thank you for tuning in mikey sell thank you for being on this podcast you are a wealth of knowledge and i look forward to more podcasts with you in the future i know that the listeners are excited about that i'm excited about that hell i get to sit down and pick the brain of an intellect hell yeah so follow mike on instagram at mikey swell all the information will be at the show notes. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. If you like what you heard, please do me a favor and give a five-star rating and share this with somebody that you care about. Thank you to the sponsors. Thank you to Tone of Club. Tone of Club Personal Training Studio in Park Ridge. Just because you're listening to this podcast, you get 25% off small group training. That's 25% off small group training at Tone of Club if you mention the Danny Cola podcast in the club or use promo code Danny Cola at checkout when you're purchasing online. This episode is also brought to you by Elemental Float and Cryotherapy. Go to www.elementalfloat.com to check out what they're all about. If you haven't done cryotherapy or flotation therapy yet, I recommend you do so. Reduce inflammation physically and mentally. It's amazing. Mention Danny Cola when you're in the store and you will get $20 off the first cryo or flow. That's it, everybody. Uh, and here I'm going to leave you with some music by Sob's Machine.